Welcome to iCommunicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to iCommunicate. And, you know, Ted, as I was listening to the disclaimer, by the way, it occurred to me that, you know, you and I often have similar opinions. It says it's not necessarily the same opinions, but we do have similar opinions. You know, um, I have to repeat the disclaimer at this moment and remind you that my opinion has no consequence whatsoever. Oh, well, I beg to differ, but that's for another day. Now, okay, so we're going to do a really fun show today on the buying experience. And, you know, before I get to that and before I share a couple of stories, I've buying stories I've had in the last week, I want to tell you this horrible realization I made over the past week since I saw you last. I had a guy reach out to me. I, I sometimes do pro bono speaking engagements for job seeker groups um, to help people sell themselves yeah, unemployed, people great. sell themselves. Yeah. Stuff. It's a great people, group of people. People need help. A great group of people. So one of the guys in the group sends me a message on LinkedIn and he says, hey, Mark, I love your radio show. I've been listening to it consistently. And, um, you know, I've tried to call you to get some help, but the number you're giving on the radio show doesn't work. Now, this is the number I've been giving on this radio show for months now, Ted. 508-871-7000. No, not the radio show number to call to Mindset Go oh, number. Oh, your number. My number. So the number I was giving out was 978-206-1535, which is my business number through Google. Uh-oh. So this guy tells me, and I'm like, well, that's not good. So I look into it. That Google number hasn't worked for at least six to nine months. So God knows how many people have tried to reach me with that number and haven't been able to reach me, just weren't, didn't tell me like him. No, no, no. God may not know, but Google knows. Google knows. Wow, great call. That was great. It was low-hanging fruit. Google's heading that direction anyway. Um, so, bum, bum, bum. so point being, <laughs> last night my IT guy, wonderful guy, got my voice business number set up. And I will say it at the end of the show, but... If you ever want to call me about training or coaching consultant, the actual correct number is 978-216-3991. What's that number? 978-216-3991. And it will be appropriately posted on your website. Indeed it will. That's the next step, indeed. So with that said, um, I want to talk about the buying experience because we're going to take it from the angle of three people. We're going to take it from the angle of the salesperson. We're going to take it from the angle of customer service, and we're going to take it from the angle of the buyer it's themselves. Okay. And so last night, Ted, I went into Home Depot right here in Shrewsbury. And, um, and let me tell you, people who know me really well know that the last place I belong is in Home Depot. <laughs> I mean, it is so far out of my comfort zone and level. And by the way, not just because I tend not to be mechanically inclined, but also because I hate big box stores in general. Uh, I feel like I go in there, I get lost, they're so big, I'm yeah, not gonna yeah. be able to find what I need, et yeah. cetera. I'm not allowed to go in those <clears throat> stores because I want everything, and I usually come home with everything. It's well, awful, but I'm sorry, I No, 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 well, and so I wanna tell you, I talk about mindset all the time, and I will say that I went shopping at 7.30 last night with a really positive, healthy mindset, and I think it paid off. I know it paid off. Excellent. So I went into the store, 
Right when I walk in the store, I needed uh, different kinds of light bulbs and recessed lighting. So I walk right into it. It happens the aisle's right there. Right there. I didn't even have to look around. So I'm trying to find a specific recessed lighting style that I need to match. So right as I walk down the aisle, the guy comes and I said, hey, by the way, I have some questions about these lights. And he said, well, I'm not the guy to help you. Let me page someone to help you. Which is typically the experience in a Lowe's or Home Depot. Yes, agree? it is. Yeah. So anyway, I'm like, great. Thanks. Appreciate it. So now I'm looking around on my own, not relying on someone else. I'm taking the time to try to figure it out myself. And that's what I mean by it was a good experience because I was able to figure it out myself. But I wanted to get an expert just so I felt like I was making the right decision. Ten minutes go by, no one comes. As it turns out, the same guy walked down the aisle ten minutes later and he saw me and I said, hey, no one ever came to help. And he, and he reluctantly has this despondent look on his face, Ted, and he says, all right, well, I guess I'll page someone again. So he pages someone uh, again, and in about five more minutes, someone comes. And it turns out that the guy who came was actually really helpful, okay? So I'm setting that story up because there are so many different buying experiences now. Up until five to 10 years ago, most of the buying experiences were in person. You'd go in store. I mean, you were constantly going shopping. Yeah. And now it's the opposite. Most of the buying is online and digital. And one of the things I'm going to do on the show today is I'm going to compare those buying experience, what happens and why certain things are prioritized in one kind of buying experience and they're not in others. My takeaway from the Home Depot story is I expected to go in and have trouble finding someone to help me, period. And even if I found someone to help me, I was skeptical they would even be knowledgeable enough to help me. And half of that kind of lived up to its expectation, right? I had to wait and so on and so forth. And so when you go to buy something as a consumer in person, a Lowe's, a Home Depot, a Best Buy, a department store, you name it, when you go to buy something, think about what your expectations are when you, before you've even walked in the door. Most people that I speak to, their expectations, and not everybody, but most people walk in skeptical. Same as me. Well, I hope I can even find someone to help me because, you know, you're looking around the aisles. Is there someone available to help me? Will they be knowledgeable enough to help me? How long will it take? And we go in thinking that it's not going to go really well. And yet, on the digital buying experience, Hell, Amazon gives us a play-by-play of what's happening. You know, you buy something off Amazon, you'll get an email saying, we've received your order, it's processing. Yeah, from from an automaton. They have have the customer service uh, uh, buttons pushed. But, so it's interesting you said from an automaton, because I'm one of these people, Ted, when I think about a, a service experience, I always refused to have an automated receptionist. That was a core value in my businesses. I hated it. It felt so impersonal. However, even though it's an automaton for companies like Amazon, what they're saying to you when they say, okay, I'm gonna send you an email when your order is processing. I'm gonna send you an email that it's shipping and it's on track to arrive in such and such days. I'm gonna send you an email that it's arrived, all these communications along the way. Amazon's basically saying to you, and this is a big point I'm going to make today, that we know you may be nervous about when your product is arriving and what's happening and when. So we're going to keep you in the loop. 
even if it's overkill, we're going to tell you everything that's happening along the way. Yet, if it's an in-person buying experience, I don't get anything like that. Oh, gee, I've got, I've got to say something. Okay, go ahead, please. An automaton working in the soul of, let's say, Google or Amazon or any of these big box operations learns every day from its mistakes and, in, and invites the programmers to change certain attributes of how things are done. And now you're right. When you buy something at Amazon, you get an e email every three times a day telling you Seems where like that it. box is and when it's getting there. Yep. Conversely, when you go into a store, a big box store, and there are a handful of people to cover the floor, they don't necessarily learn from the experience they had that day. That's right. That's right. So they may continue to repeat the same bad or, let's say, lackluster performance that they've been delivering. Now, in this time of China virus, <laughs> I'm sick of hearing that, by the way, people have let a lot of things slide. And one of them is customer service. Yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that slid. Um, and, and sometimes, and I like what you just said, and, and I, you know, sometimes I feel empathetic and sometimes I feel like it's an excuse. And I feel like I struggle to discern when I get bad customer service yeah. as I'm processing and I'm saying, well, it's COVID. But then I'm like, but you could still do these things. Like it's COVID isn't causing you to not follow up and follow through on things. Well, conversely, I, you know, I, I lean toward the way we're talking about it. But there have been very awkward moments for some people in the retail industry when they're been told by management you have to tell every customer to wear a mask or they can't come in. Um, I, I've actually uh, been told there have been uh, stabbings by customers who don't want to comply. Well, okay. And, you know, some of these retail service people are in a state of fear as many of our public are right now. So, so I'm not I'm not, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm yeah. saying there's this underlying fear that is driving people's ability to communicate with other individuals. Well, I think that's true, and I think that in in and we've talked on the show before about default reactions and default assumptions and intent, and we don't know what's going on behind the scenes in these places. This is true. However, for the purpose of the show today, look. You know, I, I went into Best Buy last week and the experience I had was I walked in and the guy says, I was looking for a TV and he says, well, what kind of TV do you want? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know much about TVs. I need you to educate me. And I wasn't being facetious. Like, I, I, I need you to educate me. And so he, he felt so uncomfortable in the role of the educator. And I have this expression, Ted, that when you are starting a buying process, when someone is coming in in person to buy, or even on the phone for that matter, I have this expression. I don't know if you've ever heard me say it before. I say, if I'm the seller, I'll say, do you want me to be the educator, the advocator, or the order taker? 
And when I say that, of course, no one knows what the heck I'm talking about. So right. their, their response is, well, what do you mean by that? And what the question is designed to get at is, what is the knowledge and experience level of the buyer? Because if you walk into a store and you've spent the previous four hours doing due diligence on the best TVs online, then you don't need the salesperson to tell you the ins and outs of every TV. Listen, I got a great anecdote, a little story I can tell you, but can I bring it over on the other side of the break? Yes, and I, do I have time to finish this last point? Yeah, oh, on? absolutely. Okay, so, so the educator, the idea is if the person has done due diligence, then you don't need to educate them. But if they don't, then you do need to spend the time. The order taker is exactly what I just said. They have all the information they need. Just show me the damn TVs. And the advocator is there's other people involved in the buying process besides the buyer, and they want you to help them right. sell the others and advocate for them. And so I think that's an important discernment to make when you're starting to communicate with someone to know what their needs are. Do they need to be educated? Do they need support? Or do they know what they want and just get to the point? Spot on. So, all right, that's it for our first segment. We'll be right back for I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman. See you after the break. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, uh, if you'd like to call on the show, it's 508-871-7000. And, uh, you know, glad to have you here with us. We're talking about the buying experience. And we're going to shift gears because what I've been trying to set up in the first segment is combating perception. And so now we're shifting to the role of a salesperson. And if you're dealing with a buyer and you know they're coming in online, in person, Zoom, however you're communicating with that buyer, you know that they have all these things swirling around in their head before you even open your mouth. And I'm gonna give you a very quick analogy. Every time I start training with a company, the first 40 minutes or so of the training, I really have to get the buy-in. I can't even, I mean, I'm focusing on the topic, but it takes a while to get people to bought in, to trust that you're worth their time and so on and so forth. So every time I go to a training, here are the three perceptions I need to combat that I assume some, a few, or all of the people are thinking before I walk in the door. Number one, virtual training sucks. So here they are in virtual training and it sucks. Two, this is gonna be boring. Three, I already know what you're gonna tell me. So I've got these three things, any or all could be swirling around in people's heads. Now before you even go any further with this, understand that as I'm explaining this to you, there is no downside if I'm wrong, because when you combat perception the way I teach it, if the people aren't thinking it, great, it just maybe just confirms something they didn't think or puts their mind at ease, but there's no downside. So this is what I do to combat perception, okay, and as an example in training, okay? So knowing people dislike virtual training and they're on screens a lot, I tell them in the very beginning that I understand that I don't necessarily love virtual training as my first choice either. My first choice would be in person. With that said, 
I'm going to make a very active effort to be interactive and engage you. And what I tell people, and I laugh as they say it is, as I say it, is I say, listen, you better be paying attention because I don't wait till people raise their hand. I just call on them and you don't want to be that person that I call on and doesn't know what we're talking about. The second thing I say is that as far as this will be boring is I say that I didn't like school and I didn't because I thought school was boring. And I was that student in school who, if what was being taught to me didn't feel applicable, I tuned out. I was like, I don't care. So I tell people, I understand you don't want to be bored. I understand what you want to learn has to be applicable. So this curriculum is designed to be applicable. And then the third thing I do is for people who say they already know it or thinking they already know it, I said, sometimes some of the things I teach you today, you're going to say to yourself, oh, I already knew that. And that's okay. The question isn't whether you knew it. The question is, is whether you've been doing it. And so you may know it, but you may need the refresher. You may need to be reminded why it's important. And so the message I'm giving you, and I know we have a caller on the line. I'm going to go to in a moment. The message I'm giving you is if I, if those three perceptions may be pervasive among the participants in the program, I'm going to address why you don't have to worry about that. Why you don't have to think that so I can get ahead so you won't let that distract you as I'm trying to teach. This is called the elephant in the room technique that I've created. And the elephant in the room technique is if there's a 5% chance someone may be thinking something, you don't cross your fingers and hope they're not thinking it. You address it proactively so it doesn't become a distraction. That is how you combat perceptions. Okay, we have a call on the line. Matt, welcome back to the show. Good to have you. Mark, how are we today? I am just fabulous, Matt. You know, I'm so glad I finally got through to you. I've been calling 867-5309 oh. the last six months, and I've never, <laughs> you know, I keep getting Jenny and no Mark. You know uh, something? Listen. People confuse. <laughs> uh, excuse me, Mark. I got Jenny right here. Yeah. Um, I will uh, make sure she gets your number. I, yeah, I appreciate that, Ted. I, I definitely appreciate that. I need all the help I can get. Uh, so I wanted to add, I, I found your... Your three, I don't know, techniques, or you're saying advocate, educate, and order take. Yes, uh, I, I love those. I have a fourth that's maybe a maybe a splinter of advocate, okay. and it it more pertains to my industry, which is hospitality, and one that I've used, and it's I'm not it's not necessarily for everybody, but to dictate. Um, I, there's some time, and, and mm. especially in my business, where it's you just tell them. You don't even ask, you know, and it's, I guess maybe in customer service, sometimes it's, uh, you know, you almost have to make the decision for them. And some people want that, truthfully. And it's not for everybody. And, and if you don't know how to do it, it can backfire very quickly. And it's something to be used uh, with a soft touch, I guess you'd say. Well, Matt, I have a couple of thoughts. That's a, I totally see where you're going with there. But before I even address that, I need to give you a recommendation and dictate something to you. Oh, please you don't. know, so you don't forget my number. Tommy Two-Tone told me to put the number on the wall. Ah, thank you. So so you just got to get that number on the wall, and that's, that's how you run. Okay, anyway, all kidding aside, Matt, um, what you're talking about there to me is huge because it, it's, you know, we use the uh, expression in sales, trusted expert. And mm-hmm. so how does someone come across as a trusted expert? And when I hear you say dictate, I'm hearing you say to the customer, If I were buying this, this is what I would do. 
if based on what you said, I am recommending you go with blank. Typically, people choose blank. And I think coming across as confident and knowledgeable and dictates one of those words where it sounds really like, you know, dictat- well, dictatorial. It sounds really aggressive, but I know that's not what you're meaning. And so the point is that part of being a trusted expert is making the recommendations, tell people what you would do if it was your money, spend the money like it was your money, and I think it's I think the dictate is good as a fourth option because I got to tell you, Matt, I would feel a lot better as a customer if I went in and said, listen, I understand what you've researched. I understand what you think you want, but let me tell you what you should get. I'd actually feel pretty psyched about that if a person was that confident. You know what I mean? So in any event, so uh, great question, Matt. Thank you for calling into the show. And you know, Matt, Matt's question really segues into our next segment. Before we go into break, we're going to talk about specific strategies you can use to come across as a trusted expert, set expectations, and put a customer's mind at ease. So for our, I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. Glad to be back. And um, so we're going we're gonna to segue right now into talking about different things, like I said, that you can do with a customer to set expectations, make the buying experience seamless. And I'm just going to share uh, yet another brief anecdote buying experience. And for those of you going, Mark, why are you buying so much stuff lately? So I just recently moved into a condo and I had very little furniture. I had kind of jettisoned a lot of the furniture in my old house. So I needed to buy some things. So I went to Jordan's Furniture, which is super expensive. But there was something I needed and wanted there that I really liked. So the point of the story is the woman's helping me. And I had gone to Bernie and Phil's first to do a comparison. So there was, a, there was a couch that I liked at Bernie and Phil's. And it had this padding on each arm of the couch that like your arm could rest on. It, was, it felt comfortable. So I showed the, when she was showing me a couch at Jordan's, I showed her a picture of this couch. I said, do you have any couches like this? Because I found this at Bernie and Phil's and I liked it. And so the woman says, oh, you don't want that. That's terrible. This is what she said. And I said, well, why do you Whoa. say that? And she goes, Well, Bernie and Phil's obviously doesn't understand that the more you lean on that kind of cushion, it's just going to wear down and ultimately be bad for your back. And so she trashed the product and Bernie and Phil's. And I had my 14-year-old son Cole with me because I wanted him to, to see this stuff. And I said to him when we're walking out, I said, you know, most salespeople, 
are at least insightful enough to know not to trash the competition and the product. By the way, not just not trash the competition, but how about the concept of this is a product that I liked and she's trashing something I liked, right? But most salespeople know not to trash the competition. What they don't necessarily know is what to do instead. And so what I said to Cole that that salesperson should have done is instead of trashing the product and burning and fills, that to make it me feel better and a better buying experience, she would have said to me, you know, that's a really nice couch. I can see why you like that. Do you have any concerns that the structure of leaning on that might eventually break down? And so now it makes me critically think like, oh, gee, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I guess I, I didn't really think of that. I guess that could happen. But now she plants a seed of doubt in my mind of why that not, may not be the better product, as opposed to saying that product sucks, Bernie and Phil sucks, it's going to break down. And so this is the thing, you know, when Matt talked about dictating, you know, this is what you have to really recognize as a salesperson. You've got to, rec- you've got to be a good listener. You've got to be observant and recognize body language signs and cues because you have to understand that you're at the mercy of the customer and the prospect. It's what they need, not what you want. So this is my thing about being a trusted expert. There are, here's at a high level what I believe people are concerned about before they walk in the door. Here's what it is. They're concerned about making the wrong decision. And you know something? People who have bought things before, who have had a bad buying experience, who have bought the bad product, they remember. And especially if it's the same product they're buying again, they sure as heck remember in that case. So they walk in, they're worried about making the wrong decision. They're worried about um, a pushy salesperson. They're worried about a painful buying process with not a lot of follow-up. Um, They're worried about the fear of the unknown. How long will the product last? Can I trust what the salesperson says? These are all high-level things. So this is what I do. I call it the processes, okay? So when I'm training salespeople and sales teams and sales leaders, what I'm saying is one of the very first things you do when you're building rapport with people is share your buying process. And the reason why you share the buying process is for two reasons. One, you want to make sure it aligns with their goals and expectations on what they think is going to happen during the process. And the second thing you want to do is because it shows it's about you and not about, it's about them and not about you. So here's an example. So I would say something along the lines of Ted, I would say, okay, so let's say they're coming in to buy, I'm working with a lot of companies in uh, lumber right now. So let's say someone's coming in to buy decking. Okay, so I would say something like, all right, so I just want to walk you through what's going to happen today and make sure that's okay with you. It meets your goals, your expectations, so on and so forth. So the first thing we're going to do is I'm going to ask you some questions so I can understand what you want and need. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to make recommendations, the mat part, right? I'm going to tell you what I think is the best solution based on the answers to the questions you gave me. And then we're going to review my recommendations Do you like them? Do we need to adapt anything? Do we need to tweak? Do we need to fit a different based on your budget? So on and so forth. Then once we make the decision of what is the best product for you, I'm going to write up a, uh, I'm going to write up a quote and we're going to review it for accuracy and make sure I captured everything you had wanted. And then once I do that, we'll sign the agreement and then we'll go to the final action plan where we talk about delivery and so on and so forth. 
So now the person might say, their response may be, gee, that sounds great. That's exactly what I had hoped would happen. It could, they might say, you know what, to be honest, I don't think I'm ready to buy today. I think I'm just kind of doing some due diligence and seeing what I like, which is huge because now that you've captured that information, you're going to shape your presentation a little bit differently, right? Or they might say, you know what, that sounds good, but I was also hoping we would do blank. And now you learn something new about what they wanted. So when you share your buying process, there are so many benefits to get them to convey to you if it meets their needs, if you miss something, if it's different than they, what they expected and hope. And it is so critical that, and I know it might sound awkward, you know, it's all how you frame the information. Like, you're not going to sit there and say to a prospect or a customer, let me share what the buying process is going to look like today. You wouldn't say it like that. You would say, hey, this is what we're going to do today. I want to make sure it works for you. That's what you're going to say. And salespeople, Ted, are always so stressed about time. So they're like, oh, my God, Mark, that if I say all that, holy smoke. I mean, they might only have 20 minutes, and it could take that part of the conversation could take a minute or two. And I'm like, I know, that's awful. Can you imagine if the customer was like, gee, no other salesperson asked me if I cared about what we're going to do today or what the goals and expectations. They just usually go into their pitch and routine and tell me what we're going to do. They don't actually give me an option to agree or disagree or change it. There are so many ways you can combat perception and differentiate yourself as a salesperson. Now, I got to tell you, I'm going to read you an example. One of the guys in the training yesterday, and I'm going to give him a shout out because it was so good. His name is Michael Connolly. He's not part of Whitey Bulger's uh, gang in Boston. I just want to clarify that. I believe you. Okay, just, just throwing that out there. So Michael Connolly sells paint. And so he deals with a lot of contractors that are doing, you know, helping homeowners and things like that. So I said, tell me what you would say to the contractor is what your process is. And this is what he said, Ted. I mean, listen to the specificity of this answer, okay? He says, well, first I'll go over which substrates need to be coated. Second, I'll ask them if they have an architect and if the architect has actually specced out the specific coatings they need. Third, once he has a grasp on the products, I'll go over the pricing to make sure it's in line. That's a pretty standard one. But then this is the big one, Ted, at the end that it melted my heart. He said, and then once you know what you want and we've signed off on that, I will then discuss how to properly prep and apply the product I'm selling you. And I'm like, so wait, so you're not just selling me a product. You're telling me how to prep it and apply it. So you must really know yourself self. if you can sell it, teach me to prep it and apply it. And that to me, talk about coming across as a trusted expert. I would like, I would say, geez, the other paint store I went into, they weren't going to tell me how to prep and apply it. They were just going to sell me the product. This is so critical that you walk through these processes. And, and just to follow up on that, let me tell you, and watch this now, and let me tell you how what I do ties into that exact story. So I'm going in and doing year-long or six-month or quarterly training programs for company. I'm teaching, I'm selling a product. I'm selling a service. I'm going to train you on how to be a better communicator, negotiator, leader, you name it, salesperson, whatever it is. So I go in and I teach you for three months. And allegedly, I'm a great teacher. And I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. But watch what I have to, watch what I have to do. 
I don't just teach it. I teach the companies I work for. You ready for this? These are the five things I do that would be equivalent to prepping and applying paint. I teach companies how to sustain it. I teach companies how to reinforce it. I teach companies how to practice it, how the leaders should model it, and how to recognize the behaviors when they happen. So I'm not just teaching you the material, I'm teaching you those five follow-up components of the material. Now, I haven't listened to my competition sell, so I don't know how they necessarily sell their product, but I would bet a lot of money that most of my competition isn't talking about that. They're just talking about the outcomes of the training and the ROI you get for the training, and that's everybody's doing that. So pre-buying process, what is it going to be like for me? Now, there's one other angle on this. If I am worried about a pushy salesperson, if I am worried about someone who talks more than they listen, if I am worried about someone that has an agenda because they're going to try to sell me a product because they're incentivized or commissioned on that product, then you know what I do? I say something like this. And Ted, I want everybody to listen to this show, understand these are not lines for me. This is how I feel. This is my core values. This is authentic, genuine in my philosophy. Practice methodology. Yeah. And so this is what I say to people, again, to combat perception and worry. I'll say, look, before we get too deep into this, let me give you a little bit about my philosophy of dealing with people. First of all, um, I don't waste people's time. I don't want people to waste my time. Time is the most precious commodity we have. So just know I will make your time very valuable. Number two, I don't like salespeople. I don't want to be sold to. I will not sell to you. I will ask you questions. I will have you educate me. I will educate you. And collaboratively, we will decide what is the right fit. And third, money. I know when a lot of times people ask the budget, the dreaded budget question, what's your budget? If I ask you what your budget is, it's not so I can sell up to your budget. It's not to sell you a solution that's going to spend your money. I ask you what budget is so I can understand what kind of options to present to you that are fitting your goals. That's the only reason I'm asking you budget. So I address those three big pieces because I know that people might be worried about that. And again, whether they're worried about it or not, it puts people at ease and peace of mind. It lets them know who they're dealing with. It takes away the fear of the unknown. It sets expectations. And that's your job, to set and manage expectations. All right, we're going to go to break. When we come back for our final segment, I'm going to talk about how to handle the post-buying process and how to make that seamless and set people's fears at ease for there. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. Now, I have a disclaimer to start the fourth segment, and I have to give an assist to my buddy Matt here because he texted me and reminded me of something. You know, we're talking about the process, and there's nobody that misunderstands the concept of the process more than the Philadelphia 76ers. 
And for a, for a team that has been talking about they've been going through this process for so many years, I, this is a shout-out to the 76ers. Even though you're an arch-rival to the Celtics, if you need my help to better understand process, I'm available. I'll even give you what I'll call the Joel Embiid discount. Okay, so that <laughs> is just a shout out to the 76ers if you need my love and support. Because You know, you're a bigger man than you appear in person. Well, and you know what's crazy, Ted, is normally, like for any New York sports teams or fans, I have an additional charge, that like an extra charge for helping them. That's 20% wise guy charge. Right, 20% yeah. wise guy yeah, charge. Yeah, I got it. Exactly. Okay, so we're going to talk about the post-buying process. And, you know, I want to start out by talking about the word estimated. I hate it. Estimated, to me, feeds our fear. So if you give me a cost estimate, oh my God. Oh no. Right? And by the way, the moving company I hired gave me a cost estimate. I challenged them on it. I said, listen, you you were in my house. You know exactly what you need to do. Can't you at least, even if you're not going to just give me an estimate, can you at least cap it? So it wouldn't be any worse than such and such. They said, nope, that's not how we do it. As it turns out, their estimate was actually spot on. Literally within a hundred bucks, it was that accurate. But my point is, there's two kinds of estimates I don't like. A cost estimate, okay? Because to me, a cost estimate is equivalent to saying, I'll try. Because you have an excuse to not do it if you'll try. And your cost estimate, if all of a sudden, and frankly, I don't know your business and your industry. So if you're an IT... It's the wrong word to use, cost, because cost relates to the bottom line before the bottom line. Yeah, and I mean, if someone says to me, it's an estimate, but they cap it, they'll say, worst case, best case, four hours, worst case, six hours. Okay, then at least I feel a little peace of mind. But cost estimate gives you room to increase my cost subjectively based on what you think needed to happen. So that's my first problem. But my bigger, believe it or not, you would think cost estimate would be the worst. It's the time estimate. To me, that's way worse than the cost estimate. So you tell me my product is going to arrive in three to five weeks. Okay. So a lot of people who sell products that say two to four weeks or three to five weeks would say, well, you don't know exactly what time, but you can still plan accordingly because Mark, you just said you're okay if you give me the cap, worst case, best case. Here's my problem. I don't necessarily mind three to five weeks. What I mind is what happens if it doesn't come in three to five weeks. What I mind is that on the 35th day, am I getting a call from you that says, hey, I know we said three to five weeks, but we've had some problems. We don't have it. We need an extension. And then, oh my God, my biggest fear is you're going to say, how about another two to four weeks? And I'm like, oh my God. That's the first problem. The second problem with the time estimate is three to five weeks to me is four weeks. So at the four week part, at the 28th day, are you giving me a call and saying, hey, I know you haven't received your product yet, but guess what? It's shipping. Here we go with the Amazon thing again, right? Now, if it's an in-person versus the automaton, the automaton, in most cases, is giving me a blow-by-blow. Blow. The in-person, as the salesperson or customer service person, are you off the hook and say, hey, I told them three to five weeks. So as long as it happens within 21 to 35 days, I've hit my window. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say about that. It's an automatic. 
Yeah. Well, and and I think I think this goes to setting expectations in the buying process, right? So if you if I'm your customer and you tell me it's going to be 3 to 5 weeks, one of two things needs to happen. Either and who's the onus of communication on? Either it's me speaking up and saying, "Listen, I'm going to get a little stressed out if I don't really know when it's going to come." So is there any chance you could make a note in your system to call me at the three-week point or the four-week point, give me an update, what's happening, when it's going to happen, if it's going to happen, so on and so forth? Or I'm the customer. The onus of communication shouldn't be on me. I would ask the client, if they said three to five weeks, I would say, hey, listen, three to five weeks, would you like me to give you a call along the way to give you an update? Once I know, I can check on the tracking and so on and so forth, right? So this is, this is the crux of the post-buying process, and I know we're short on time, so I'm just going to get right to it. The crux of the post-buying process is what method of communication does the customer want to be contacted? What's flexible, convenient, easy? Text, phone, email, Zoom, whatever it is. Second, how often do you want to be contacted? What's the best time of day to be contacted? And this is the biggest one. I am a person that believes in giving my cell number out to my clients. Now, a lot of people don't want to do that and don't like doing that, and that's okay. You don't have to do that. But when I finish my sale to the customer, and my customers aren't companies, they're the, the, the people that work at those companies, right? So what I say to them is, here's my cell number. It's on my card. You can reach out to me anytime you want, okay? And when I talk about advocating for yourself, my joke about this is, and creating the ultimate availability because that's what people want. They want you to be available for them, right? So this is my joke. You can reach out to me at 2 in the morning if it's if you'd like because you know why? Because I'll probably be sleeping, but I'll wake up the next morning and I'll see your message. And you know something? If you become a bother or a burden, I'll let you know. But until then, I want you to feel free and comfortable to reach out as often and when you need. And that, to me communicating that availability, that love, that kindness, that support, that creates the post-buying experience. So let's be very specific with our messaging. Okay, I'm out of time. So I want to wrap up. I want to remind everybody what our new number is, for God's sakes. 978-216-3991. What's that number? 976-216-978-216-3991. Info at mindsetgo.com. Would love to work with you or your company or your team. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. See you next time. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.